Ladies and gentlemen, good morning and welcome back to another live episode of 80s Wrestling the Podcast. We have got a huge show today as we have a very special guest. My name is Jumpin' Jay and as always, I'm joined by the man who in just one day will be bringing superstars to the New Jersey State Fair. I'm talking about Tommy Fairground Fierro. Good morning, Tommy. <laughs> hey, what's going on, man? Hey, I want to jump right in it today. Uh, Tony Atlas is our special guest. I didn't know that he wouldn't be able to stand for the whole show. So we're going to take a couple quick calls, ask a question real quick, and we'll move on to the next one. And then if you want to call back later in the show, we could. But uh, any further ado, joining us now, WWE Hall of Famer, Mr. USA, Tony Atlas. Tony, good morning, sir. Good morning, sir. How y'all doing? Good. How are you? Now, tomorrow, anyone that lives in the New Jersey area, Tony will be kicking off Pro Wrestling Week at the New Jersey State Fair in Augusta, New Jersey, tomorrow from 6 to 9 p.m. So if you live in the Tri-State area and want to meet Mr. USA Tony Atlas, you can come out tomorrow night. Tony, I know you love coming to New Jersey. Yeah. Um, the only thing that I don't like about New Jersey, I can't make a left turn. <laughs> yes, man. Hey, uh, I believe we have Brian the Brain from Chico, California, online right now. Brian, good morning and welcome to 80s Wrestling Podcast. You're on with WWE Hall of Famer Tony Atlas. Good morning, and uh, thanks so much for joining us, Tony Atlas. Uh, I, I'll call you Mr. Atlas and, uh, until I get approval for otherwise, but uh, I just want to uh, thank you for all that you've given to the world of uh, professional wrestling, and uh, a couple quick things I'll ask you. Uh, I, I've heard a lot of your shoot interviews. Thanks so much for all that you've shared with the world. I, I love that you're willing to talk to us about all the uh, great opponents and uh, great things that you've done, but um, I know you had kind of a rough childhood. You and Roddy Piper were born six days apart. He also had a rough childhood. He found a creative outlet in uh, music. You found one in drawing. How early did you start with your artistry, aside from bodybuilding? How early did you start with being an artist, and uh, what kind of creative outlet was that on the road? Did you did you draw while you're on the road? Did you is it something that gave you some? Uh, I know you're a tremendous artist. I, I wonder if you could share a little bit about that. When I was living in Lowmore. Virginia, right across the street from uh, the, the little shack. I call it a shack because that's what it was, you know, because you go, we didn't need windows. We just looked through the cracks. I remember in the, during the, the winter, we used to take mud and put it in between the cracks and keep the wind out and wake up some on it. It didn't snow that often, but it did snow. I would shake the snow off my blanket in the moment before I went to uh, school. I, I remember that we had to break the the, the ice. Uh, put it on the stove and melt ice in order to uh, wash our face because there was no, you know, everything was an outhouse and a well out in the front yard. We didn't have running water in the place we stayed. But anyway, there was a church right across the street. And my mother was a very, very religious uh, woman, simply because my grandmother was very, very, very religious. Uh, one time the KKK was coming down the street beating up big old drums and stuff like that, big old bass drum. And I say to my grandmother, I said, Grandma, I don't like them people. She said, hush your mouth, boy. They God children too. My grandmother could not hate, and my mother couldn't hate. They, they was what they call Christians, you know, something that we used to have here, but I, I haven't seen one in a long time. I mean, I wonder if they stand as if. Or not. I, I know a lot of people say they're Christian, but they <laughs> they don't sound they don't sound like it. Let's put it that way. They, they don't think like mm-hmm. it. Oh, they they don't do it. I, I know. I'm trying to be one. I'm not one either. I'm trying to be. You know, so I'm not going to lie to myself. But anyway, make a long story short. Uh, it was a church there, and my mother was an artist. She had the natural talent, and she drew. But she couldn't afford coloring books, so she took some paper regular notebook paper, and she drew a picture for all of us kids to send us to Sunday school. Then we had one box of crown, and we had to share that box of crown. So when I got to the Sunday school that morning, I colored all the pictures that my mother drew. So I flipped it over, and uh, I started drawing 
uh, the pictures on the back. So I took it home. My mom said, well, who drew this for you? I said, Mom, I drew that. So it was, it was something that was always uh, certain things is in you. Like Popeye, you just say, I am what I am. Some people can sing. Right. Some people can sing. I remember the first time I picked up a set of weights. It was at the Virginia Negro Baptist Children's Home in Chesterfield County, uh, uh, right near Petersburg, uh, Virginia. I don't know if if the office home is there, but uh, at 11 years of age, uh, you know, uh, they sent me to this office home. I stayed there for about three years, worked on a farm, and, and, you know, did farm work, cut down trees, and, you know, a lot of uh, of manual labor, but, but it was good for me. And I, I remember I saw some weights out in the out in the yard, and somebody I said, "What them for?" And they said, "Oh, that's what people use when they want to build their muscles." And, and you know, and I remember seeing the movie uh, Hercules with Steve Reeves, and they said, "Oh yeah, that's you know, if you do the people that, that want to be like like that Steve Reeves guy in the movie, they they lift them things to make their muscles big. They even know what to call them, them things." So I went over there, picked it up. I remember I got a lot of cheer for everybody uh, on the bus. Uh, at the children's home because I was able to uh, 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 lift it. Then I remember when I graduated from high school, I had 19 and a half inch arms. I had a 480 pound bench. And Kim Terrell always made fun of me because he was looking at a muscle magazine, a powerlifting magazine, and he saw me uh, as a teenager, and I had a 480 bench and a 450 squat. And he thought that was funny that I could bench press more than I could squat. But it started in church. It, it started. It started in church in Sunday school. Uh, my drawing. Well, excellent. Thanks so much for sharing. I'm sure you got other callers. Um, very quickly, do you? Uh, I wish that some of your counterparts, like King Kong Bundy, Natural Butch Reed, uh, Kamala, uh, would somehow be able to join you in the Hall of Fame. And I'll. I'll this is the last question. I just wonder if you think that possibly the change of Vince McMahon leaving and, and Triple H and Stephanie taking over, if you think hopefully that uh, posthumously they might be able to put some of those great uh, superstars of your era in there to join you? Well, Vince got an old saying, the only way you're going to get this business is to pry it from my cold, dead hands. I don't believe that Vince is stepping down. I, I don't. I don't. Do you think he's still running things? He's just not the face of the the company. Well, old Pat Powell hung around. Pat, Pat, maybe not on paper. You got to realize this is wrestling. <laughs> yep. Who's going to check it out? That's this a, is that's wrestling. A great point. I mean, I mean, you talk about a sport that have a guy, a, a guy that came from. Well, you just mentioned Kamada, and. Uh, Weezer, he's from Uganda, Mississippi. There you go. Abdullah the Butcher is from, uh, where did Abdullah used to always say he's from? Uh, Sudan. Uh, Sudan, uh, uh, Sudan, Canada. Yep, there See? you go. Right. And Tony yep. Atlas is the only African-American world champion because Rocky Joshua is Africa Canadian world champion. Yes, this is all true. <laughs> it is Russian business. <laughs> I don't yeah. mean because Pat hung around years after he spoke been gone. Years when he was in legend house. I mean he was always around with that Rocky Phil. You know, he would never he never really stepped down. He just did everything. They do it under the table, kinda of like with a, a construction worker. Yep, definitely. Well, hopefully somebody will ask you about the. Uh, yeah, hopefully somebody will ask you about the Young Rock show, and if you've watched that at all, they. Uh, I know it's all a characterization for drama, but uh, uh, they they paint you out to be a little bit of a glory hound, and uh, and I think it's you know more drama than anything, and it's just an interesting portrayal the way they have you and. Uh, and Rocky, and they act like uh, he takes all the bumps and you get all the glory. Let me ask you this. There was not a wrestler in the world that was not a glory hound. That's why we all broke. 
Well, that's that's how you made your money. That's, you why, to, that's uh, why we all broke because the promoter knew he could give us the glory, but not the money. And there uh, was other guys that just went in for the money, like Ernie Ladd was there for the money, Harley Waste was there for the money, uh, Flair, uh, unusual. He wanted both. He wanted the glory Definitely. and the money. Thunderbolt Patterson had the the, the 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 glory, but he used to he wanted the money too. But he he got a lot of trouble because he wanted to get paid also. You know, he he liked the glory. But they used to call a lot of guys glory happy. And, and we were. I mean, you got to think about a kid that grew up in poverty. All of a sudden, I'm standing in the arena, and you got 20,000 people cheering your name. If every woman in the world want to lay you, just about, you got you can buy what you want to buy, wear what you want to wear. Of course, that's going to go through your head for a young kid. Of course, I was glory happy. Yes. Rock is Rock. Rock was there. He, he's, he's not. He's not over. He don't. Wrestling don't need to over dramatize. That, nope. That's just what's nope. up. We over dramatize everything. That, that was us. That's wrestling. Otherwise, you guys wouldn't watch it. Yep. Yep. Hey, I want to thank you so much, Mr. Atlas. I really appreciate you spending time with us. And uh, again, I really appreciate the uh, the mark you made on on the history of uh, wrestling world. And uh, again, I thank you so much and bless you and. Uh, Wish you a lovely uh, uh, days, and, and I hope you and your wife are doing tremendously well. You take care. You too, sir. Thank you. And, Tony, I know you've got to run. We've got one more call. We'll get on with you before you get out of here. And it's one of our longtime callers calling from Butler, New Jersey. Dangerous. Danny, welcome to 80s Wrestling, the podcast. You're on with Tony Atlas. Tommy, Jumpin' Jay, Tony, uh, good morning. I uh, hope you guys are doing well. Yes, sir. Hey, uh, Tony. I just how you know. I just wanted to you know say it's a it's an honor and a privilege to be able to uh, share a conversation with you. Um, you know, I'm a 41 years old. Uh, you know, during your heyday, I was a little too young to, you know, watch uh, you know the, the the stuff that you pioneered with you and Rocky uh, throughout. You know, in, in WWF being the first African American tag team champions. Uh, you know, you guys. Definitely, you know, we're uh, trailblazers, pioneers, uh, you know, through, you, had, you had a tremendous career. You were all over the world. Um, you know, uh, like the, the caller before, uh, Brian the Brain. Um, my question for you uh, was, you know, during your time with uh, Rocky, you know, obviously, you know, I was too young to watch it, but, like, you know, I do know the history of the business, and, you know, I read a lot. And then, you know, obviously watching uh, the Rock show, you know, it – portrayed, you know, that there was tension between you guys, uh, you know, you know, Rocky feeling that he did all the work and uh, you got the glory, uh, do, do, you know, before he passed, were you guys on good terms or was there tension that like they, that the show portrayed or was that just overblown uh, just to get viewers? I uh, just want to get your take on that. Well, <clears throat> On on anything you have to do before you understand anything that happened, uh, just like I try to explain the murder of Bruce and Brody, you have to start at the beginning to really understand. Kind of like watching a movie. If you come in in the middle of a movie, you're not going to really get the full understanding of why things happen the way things happen. I went to the WWL first. My first tag team partner, you said you read things, was SD Special Delivery Jones. That was my tag team partner. Rocket was not in the in the uh, WWF. That was ran by Vince Senior. Well, anyway, I got this crazy Tommy. Them guy know I got this crazy shoe fetish, and I was living in Los Angeles at the time, and I had this girl who was my, what, what, what you would call a dominatrix. And she walked on me and, you know, did all this stuff. So anyway, she kept, every time I called to check on her, I was seeing this girl money, you know, every week to live on and everything. I had a little place in Los Angeles, uh, 1202 South Orange Grove, near Pico and Fairfax. That's where I was training at the gym. My workout partner at that time was Lou Ferrigna, Charles Glass, uh, and, you know, a lot of guys that, you know, top bodybuilding guys, because that's where all the top bodybuilders went to train was L.A., so I figured I'd move that. But anyway, I was wrestling with S.D. Spencer Jim Joe. But this girl kept telling me about these shoes, and then I had to see these shoes. So Chief Strongboat, 
I, I locked my keys in the car. And uh, at the North Airport, <clears throat> Mario Savoda had the same story. I locked my keys in the car. Well, I got pissed off uh, about not getting back. Chief Starbo said, Tony, I would take you to Philly. You have to go to Philly. It's very important you get to Philly. So I would take you there. I would bring you back and uh, get a locksmith. Well, you know, sometimes when you're young, you know, you get stupid. And not, and not that I'm smart now. I'm still stupid, but I was more stupid when I was young. So I said, boy, now I got a great excuse to go to L.A. and get walked on, get stepped on by this girl. <laughs> <laughs> back then, you could walk into the airport and buy a ticket. You didn't have to make reservations. If they got a seat, you get you give them cash. So I, I the ticket to L.A. was only three fifty. So I hop on a plane and I went to L.A. and I parted with this girl for about a week or two. Then finally I ran out of money. So I said, "Oh shit, I'm gonna call Vince. Let him know what happened." So I called Vince Senior and talked to him. And then Vince Senior took and said, "Well, where the hell you been?" He said, "You just disappeared on it." Now this is what what has exposed to happen. Back up a little bit. The idea was, I learned this later, the idea was me and SD was going to win the title off of Mr. Fuji and Saido, and me and SD was going to be the first. SD, talk about it. If you listen to SD, he, he's telling the story at, the, at my introduction. SD and me were supposed to be the first world champion. That's what they planned. Then and we're going to beat Fuji and Saito for the belt. Then the, the Moon Dolls, who was in Japan at the time, they were going to fly in come back, and they were going to beat me and SD for the tag team title. Then Vince was going to break us off, and he would put me against Backler. Me and Backler already started wrestling, doing little things, you know. And Backler never pinned me. I never pinned Backler. And I think Vince wanted to uh, call Captain Lucy, they go all the way with you. You got the green light. They're going to go all the way. So Vince plan senior was to make me world ch- the first black world champion. Rocky was not even there then. Then I left. When I came back, they flew me into Allentown, Pennsylvania. That's when Rocky was sitting in the dressing room, when they flew me back from Los Angeles. After I came back, I'd been gone for about, I think I was gone, if you look it up, I think I was gone for almost 10 months. And during that time, Rocky came in to, to take my place. So <clears throat> Vince came up to me, and this is what Vince Sr. said. Tony. Do you want Rocket to stay? He said, if you want him to go, we will get rid of him. But do you want him to stay? I said, oh, no, keep him. And Vince Sr. said, well, I'm glad you feel that way because we were thinking about teaming you guys up. Remember SD said he got kicked to the curb? When he did a a Hall of Fame speech, remember SD said, I got kicked to the curb? Yeah, correct. That's what SD was talking about. And then all of a sudden they replaced uh, Rocket with SD. Now, back in the old days, if you ever noticed, they wanted one of everything. It was not a racist. It had nothing to do with racism. It had something to do with Vince Sr. felt, old-time wrestling felt, that having more than one black wrestler on top that can't draw money, having more than one oriented. Think about how long uh, Chief J. Strongboat stayed there. And, and the only reason Tatanka got in, because Chief retired. You know, uh, uh, when they have Ivan Puskin, he was the only Polish. When when they have uh, uh, on top, when they have Bruno, he was the only Italian on top. Couldn't no other Italian be a top guy when Bruno was there. Couldn't no Indian be a top guy when Chief J. Stormbo was going there. Can, in fact, Fuji got rid of Saido and uh, uh, Tor Tanaka. You know, he buried that freaking Saido every day. Because Fuji didn't want another Oriental. When they had a Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, they had nobody else during that period of time. It changed later, but at that time, they only had room for one ethnic, like Pedro Morales. That's why Johnny Ross never went, was never put on top, because they had Pedro. You, you see what I'm saying? Yes. That's why Andre the Jank got so pissed off at Big John Stubb, because Andre, you see, always said, only one Jank, Andre. No other Jank. And he hated John Stubb, but they started calling him, uh, uh, started calling him uh, the Jank the because that was Andre gimmick. You, you, know, you know what I'm saying? So me and yes, Rocky sir. were the first two top wrestlers. And Rocky was, is older than me, so Rocky knew that eventually, eventually, 
they were going to get rid of him. So he figured the best way to save his career, because this is a Rocky's biggest break, if you stop and think about it. I got big breaks in Mid-Atlantic. I was a Mid-Atlantic champion. I, that was a big territory. I, you know, AWA, I got a big break. Uh, that's another big territory. And the Georgia Championship Wrestling that went into the first cable wrestling company, I was all over cable television. So I already had a break. So as far as I did, he did all the work and I got all the glory, I I was over before Rocky got there. They already knew me. I didn't have to do nothing. I was already over. All I do, like, like I worked with you and say, all I do is walk through that door, and I was over. I mean, how many guys you knew could drop kick you, drop kick you in the face, leapfrog John Stud, and press slam John Stud too? Rocky couldn't do them things. He was but Rock about ten years older than me, and I and I, a lot of stuff I didn't know. The first night, after I told Vince, after I told Vince that Rock could <laughs> could stay, Vince said, "Tony, we want to go back to L.A. and get your car." I was driving a 1981 Corvette there, and and then Rock stepped up and said, "Hey, says we gonna be partner. He's gonna be riding me." He said, "He said he don't have to go home." Uh, and plus, I got a the extra car that he could use if he wanted to. Now, this is my first night back now. <laughs> now, Vince said, oh, that's great, because we was hoping to get him started right away. He said, that's great. We were hoping to get him started right away. So Rock could take me to a hotel in New Haven, Connecticut. The next day, we were supposed to be in, I mean, in Hamden, Connecticut. Hamden, Connecticut. The, and then the next day, we were supposed to be in uh, uh, the first show me come back was going to be Hartford, Connecticut. Now, listen to this. Rocket said, I come in. It was Hartford's only like 30 miles away. Rocket said, I like being there early. I come and pick you up around 5 o'clock. That's all great. Because back then, the show stars at uh, uh, 8 back in them days. So they gave us time to drive, grab something to eat, keep going. Rocket never showed up. This is my first book back. Rocket left me at the freaking wow. hotel. So wow. I called a cab from, from New Haven. And Rock was sitting in the dressing room talking about, I couldn't find him. And then when I walked in, he walked up to me, well, hey, where you been? Where you been? He's going to tell me. I looked out, I almost knocked his ass out. <laughs> and then he did that several other times to me. I, and, I, and, and Chief bagged him. Chief bagged uh, Vince not to put Rock in with me. Chief told me that a hundred times. He said, that, he said, Rocky is not going to do nothing but try to get rid of Tony because Rocky knows as long as Tony here, he's never going to be the top guy. Wow. As you look that's at our, him wrestling, you look at me wrestling, you look at the matches, you tell me during that time. You tell me. See? As, as far, uh, you know, you brought up, uh, you know, I know it's a, it's a tough, touch, touchy subject to yourself. I'm not going to get into it, but you got But, but, but anyway, getting back to, to, finish, to finish your question, me and Rocket was the best of friends towards the end. In fact, you could ask his wife, Sheila, me and Rocket talked every week. Every That's week. Great. I talked to Rocket three days before he passed. Three days before oh, he wow. passed. Wow. And then you're going to see a thing on Hannibal with Rocket did this interview, but that was a big misunderstanding because Rocket's wife, Sheila, and my wife, Monica, very good friend, they talked every week. So uh, Sheila told my told, uh, my wife told Sheila a story about this show getting cancer that's going to affect me being, going to cause me to be late for my mortgage. So Sheila sent $300 to Monica. And I, I paid my mortgage. Now, I'm thinking that, that and she said, oh, Rocket sent you some money to help you with your mortgage. That's all my wife told me. I, I, I knew nothing about it until I saw the interview that Rocket did on Hannibal. And he was mad at me because I didn't pay him the money back. It was a loan, that, was, but I knew nothing about it. Nothing. That was between them two wives that, that they was talking, and Sheila decided to go and ask Rocket to save me some money. Rocket looked at it as a as a loan. I knew nothing about it. My wife looked at it as a gift. And I talked to Sheila about that not too long ago. <laughs> Sheila saw that was Rocket got got it all mixed up. I I, I didn't ask Rocket for uh, uh, I did owe Rocket three hundred bucks, but I didn't know it until I heard the interview. Cause Rocket would never pick up the phone and talk. Anybody that ever dealt with Rocket know that his wife Sheila did all the talking, just like with Jimmy Smucker. Uh, his wife used to do all the talking, you know. Anybody ever worked with Smucker? Oh yeah. 
But yeah, we're the best of friends. I love Rocky to death. You know, the last thing I said to Rocky, I said, "Brother, get well. I love you." He said, "I love you too, brother." That's the last thing Rocky said to me. I love you too, brother. That's great. Hey, Danny, we gotta let you run. We're gonna let Tony, uh, Tony run. Thank you so much for calling in, man. We'll see you soon. All right. All right, guys. Yeah, yeah right, no, no, I got time. I got a little bit more time. But put another one on. Oh, and well, th- th- that's a good idea, Tony. Because the next one, you're gonna be excited for this. Ready? He is from yeah. Totowa, New Jersey. His name is Totowa Tom. He's your guy that gets you the oysters. He's picking you up tomorrow at the hotel with some of your favorite oysters in New Jersey. Totowa Tom, welcome back to the show. Hey guys. Hey, I thought it was clams. You oh, clams. Oysters? I'm sorry, clams. Yeah, uh, 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 I, the only place you get, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, Lugrini and clams, where you got the big shells, is in Georgia. Georgia uh, uh, got the best uh, seafood, but New York got the best pizza. Hey, I don't know about that. Jersey people are pretty good, Tony. Come on, brother. I don't start in World War Two now, did I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those are fighting words, brother. <laughs> yeah, and also New York got a good bagel, too. But Italian hey, uh, food, I mean, if not me, Jamario Savoli hooked me up about, about Italian, and, and me and Thomas Savoli, that, that's our favorite dish is, is clams and Lugrini. You know, when they put them big clams in with the uh, – uh, 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 that's said in the shell. They've got these big, huge clams. Now they put that dice clam with, with a lot of them, and it, it ain't it, it ain't worth it. Well, that's gonna, why I don't get that... clam chowder soup no more because it, they put everything in clam chowder, but the clam. Well, we promise you're going to get your uh, your clams and linguine tomorrow. Now, Tony with Tom, while we still have them on, I know you you grew up a huge, huge Tony Atlas fan. What what is your favorite Tony Atlas memory, Tony with Tom? Uh, when they won the tag team titles over the uh, Wild Samoans, I mean, I could see it as plain as day. I know exactly where I was in my house watching it. I saw Captain Lou Albano pick up the chair. I saw Tony duck as he was being held from behind by one of the Samoans, and Albano hit the Samoan in the head with the uh, chair, and then they got the pin and they won the tag team titles. That's my well, my earliest, most famous, or most favorite favorite moments i think when i was a kid growing up watching wrestling but i have a trivia question for mr usa here's the trivia question you ready yeah who is the only who is the only person to be paid not to show up to wrestlemania (laughs) me (laughs) tony tell that story real quick for, for some of the listeners that don't know about it Y- y'all can find it somewhere on the computer. Cause my buddy Matthew, that that do my Twitter account for me, he run my Twitter page. <laughs> oh, uh, Real Atlas. Uh, he he sent me a picture. He sent me pictures on the phone that that he searched. Cause he's into wrestling big time. And there's a picture of me press slamming King Kong Bundy. Now Bundy came into the WWWF. What a lot of people don't know, and he had a, a, a uh, he was dressed like one man game. And he had a, he was dressed in a a a, 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 a purple uh, outfit, you know, full, uh, you know, with the uh, with the, uh, the, the the top and the the long leggings and everything. And <clears throat> I was uh, getting a Vince Senior at that time in our time when they did a TV taping in Hamburg. He never really looked at the job guys. The job guys were brought in. Most of them were trained and brought in by Johnny Ross. So Johnny would bring guys. In what we call jobbers, and if you look at the old WWE, they were they were squash matches. I mean, the longest match probably went about two minutes. They were two and three minute matches, and sometimes you know I have to wrestle sometimes four or five times. But anyway, I'm back in the back there, and all the guys started that my matches get ready to go on. So I'm back in the back stretching and everything, and uh, SD Jones caught my attention. Because they was peeking through the curtain. Because the boys used to peek through the curtains to see to watch the matches. Uh, back in them days, you have to watch the matches because you didn't want to re- uh, be repetitious. So if one guy go out and they grab a head to work the headlock, then I go out. I would work the arm, and another guy would go out and work the leg. Because we want every match to be different, not repetitious like it is now. Now you see a clothesline every freaking match. You know you. You watch one match now, you've seen them all because everybody's doing the same thing over and over and over. It's repetition matches. But anyway, make a long story short, I hear SD say, boss back, boss back. 
Boss man to get him. Boss man to get him. He get him up. He get him up. Boss man to get him up. I'm going, what in the hell is going on? So I looked uh, out the curtain to see what SD there was talking about. There I saw Bundy, but he had long hair. He wasn't bald-headed. He had long hair. And I saw this 400-pound man in the ring. I got a little bit pissed off because I think this is fucking with me again. Because Junior had a way of messing with me. You know, uh, like the time when Hogan walked out on me while doing the pose down and attacked me. I didn't even know Hogan was going to do that, you know. Vince would do things. Senior would do, I'm not senior, but Junior would do things to me to just mess with my head, just, just see how I would react to it. I don't know why, but that was just Junior way of messing with me. But uh, anyway, make a long story short, I went out to the ring. I almost, uh, as I walked out, I looked right at Junior and I looked right at Senior. And I gave him look like, you MS. You know, because if I don't get this guy up, this is TV. It killed my gimmick. It killed it. But anyway, make a long story short, me and Bundy, we had this little match. Y'all could probably find it somewhere. I, don't, I, I saw pictures of it. And I even got some pictures of it on my phone that Matthew something. When I went to prep, the slight wrestling Bundy, Bundy moved around that ring like he weighed 130 pounds. I said, wow. He was kind of like Bam Bam Bigelow and guys like that, the jury to crush a black whale, because I wrestled with black whale before. Black whale, crush a black whale was like that. Uh, Bam Bam Bigelow was like that, and Bundy was like that. He was a big man, but light on his feet. So I couldn't get under Bundy to press him. So Bundy jumped up to my shoulders, and all I do was just follow his weight and push him. And when he came back, Vince went, didn't come to me. He went straight to Bundy. <laughs> he go, wow, that, that was great. And he asked me, so how was he to work with? I said, he's, he's light as a feather. That's what I believe is some of the way of brought him back later to, uh, uh, I didn't see him again until they brought him back to wrestle against Hogan. Well, anyway, when they brought him back, I was supposed to wrestle him that night. I was at the, I was, I was there. You could check the records. I was in the territory at that time. Me and this lady I was married to named Lisa was walking out of the Ramada Inn. In fact, somebody sent me a picture of that too. Uh, it's a buddy man. They always send me pictures. He, he got a picture because he, he he was there with me. He took a picture of me and Lisa. Lisa was my second wife. I had a, a silver suit on, a, a, silk, a silver silk, a gray uh, silk suit that I had tailor-made for me. And I was walking to the garden. Anna Scola stopped me at the door. They said, oh, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Vince wants you to uh, not to be on this one. He wants you to have a night off. It was at the Ramada Inn on 49th and 8th Street. He gave me $2,500 in cash. Then he had me to sign the back of the check. Well, I didn't pay no attention at that, that, that time. I knew nothing about Rassabena. This was the first one. So me and Lisa, we were like, have a, you know, have, have a, big, a big party. Then I found out that S.D. Jones took my place. See? The reason that I was not on it, because Vince knew I was going to press uh, Bundy. He knew I was going to press him. And back in them days, once I press him, he can't kick out of my finish. See? The only thing he could do is roll out of the ring and get counted out. Because otherwise he killed my finish, and that would get heat not with just me, but all the boys. They're like, they're like when Slipper came off the top rope, you didn't get up because you killed his finish. You see what I'm saying? So if I press Bundy and, and Bundy get up, I kill the finish. And plus That's that what happened. And then, oh, yeah, 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 Bundy would have had heat with all the boys. Not with just me. He would have heat with all the boys. You don't, you don't, because you kill a man finish, you kill his, uh, 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 his livelihood, like Sheik had a finish. We have, have finishing move that once we did it, that was it. The match was over. You know, they ain't like today where the finish is a hot spot. Back then, a finish was a finish. You didn't kick out a man finish. And and Vince wanted yeah. Bundy protected because he was going to main event the following year's WrestleMania. Which exactly. And Tony Allen would have killed all that shit. Tony Allen would have. Tony Allen would have. Well, you look at the later matches of me and Bundy, how humble Bundy is in the ring with me. I mean, he was very gracious with me. I'm going to Vince that got mad and once have a go too long with me. And Bundy took a set. I'm a, I'm a worker, not a shooter. He said, that guy, he's state wrestling champion. He's a power wrestler. 
and and and, and it, 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 he could pick me up and throw me into the third row. So I'm not gonna fool for a guy that could bench press six hundred pounds. <laughs> he said, "I'm a worker, not a uh, not a fighter." I did the same thing to Paul Lawndorf. Paul Lawndorf, I, I took him in the ring. I pressed him on my head two or three times, set him on the top rope, and patted him on the head. Mr. USA, I have one last trivia question. When Hogan was in his heyday and was WWF champion, he hadn't been pinned for nine years. It was a nine-year gap between when he lost the title eventually to, uh, I guess, Andre the Giant at, at uh, Saturday Night's main event. But the trivia question is, who was the last person to pin Hulk Hogan prior to that nine years ago? Tony Atlas. How do you know all these? <laughs> well, you see, Hogan never been press slam. The warrior tried to get him up. But imagine Hogan was 340 pounds. And, and big guys that big, they didn't take bumps back in them days. Not uh, press that was Hogan's first big bump. Guys, them guys, uh, Blackjack, Mulligan, all them guys, John Studd, that's why it was so big. You slam John Studd, you get so much money. Andre didn't take a lot of uh, a lot of uh, big bumps. So so that was Hogan's biggest bump. Hogan even brags about that to his daughter one time when she was up here singing. He said, yeah, that Tony picked him up right over his head. I was extremely strong, brother, extremely. Not now. You know, I'm an old fart now, but back in the day, dude, I, I, I used to rep 500 pounds. I walk in the ring and put uh, there's a Mid-South tape where I just left the gym working out, and Bill Watts had me to bench press 500 pounds, junk y'all dog was spotting me, and then I had to do 550 on Bill Watts TV, and that's right after I did an hour and a half workout. You know, 500 pounds was nothing for me. You know, I, I, I first did 500 when I was 19 years old, so I've been doing 500 from age 19 all the way up until about age 50 when the last time I was able to do 500. When I blew out my elbow, then I stopped doing the heavy weights, you know. Yeah, but I always, I always was good in that gym because that, that was me. It goes all the way back to Virginia Negro Baptist Children's Home when I was uh, uh, 12 years old, and I lift up that weight, and I never put them down. In fact, I, I, in, in a few minutes, I got to get out here and get to gym and train some students and work out myself. But that's how it was back in the day, you know. We we were we became our character. Rick Flair became Rick Flair. Tony Atlas became Tony Atlas. Rocket Johnson became Rocket Johnson. The Rock, even now, became The Rock. And once you become stuff, you know, that that's it. You you you, you label. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger will always be, always be the Terminator. So Stallone will always be Rocket and Rambo. Always. You become them characters after a while. You do something for so long you become that. Association bring on simulation. I forgot who Anthony White was over the years. I don't even know who that guy is anymore. Ric Flair, he don't know who, 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 who he was before he became Ric Flair. We lose ourselves in the character. Now, George Animal Steele, he would join, talk to the Sheik. The Sheik is the same today as he was 20 years ago. Nothing changed in this guy. He forgot who Coswell was. Coswell ain't existed in years. And one more thing I'm going to tell you all, and then I'm going to let you all go. Vince McMahon said one time on television, Ted Turner lost because he was in the wrestling business. I won because I was in the entertainment business. What had happened to professional wrestling was anybody could be one. You don't have to have no talent. You don't have to have no ability. It's something now that anybody could be. When I first started, it was a, the hardest. You would stand a butter chase of playing for the New England Patriot than to get into the wrestling business back in the 70s. First of all, you have to know how to fight. That was number one. You have to know how to take care of yourself because we, you was always around the fan. We drove everywhere. We didn't go to the airport. We didn't have security around us. You sit and watch some of them old matches. You remember going to the matches. You could get to the wrestlers anytime you want. 
We used to walk out to the parking lot, and there'd be fans surrounding our car. So if you was a heel back in the seventies, and some guys said, "Hey, that wrestler a bunch of your bunch of fakers," what what that wrestler would have to would have to fight and prove to this fan that it's not fake. I see Gene Anderson and Wahoo Mike Daniel and Harley Race beat up a lot of guys over the years. Black Jack Mulligan. I see a lot of fight between the fans, some fans. And they used to ask us all the time, is wrestling fake? We used to get to ask that question all the time. Nobody asked that question no more. Because after they watch the match, they know it's fake. Because they don't try to make it look real. All they think about now is, is entertainment, the moves. But they put no reality. It's like watching uh, Power Rangers or the Road Runner with Buzz Bonnet. You know what I'm saying? It's cartoonish now. There's no seriousness to it. You do so much that it becomes unbelievable. I threw a punch. I got up on the rope one time and punched George two ton Harris in the head ten times. And the people were counting. So I thought I was doing a good job. Came by. George Scott went up one side of me, came down. He said, you stupid. You just smarting up everybody. He said, nobody's going to believe, believe that a guy with your arms and your strength can hit a man in the head ten times and not even leave a freaking scratch. My job was to turn fantasy into reality to make the people believe. See, and that's the problem with not just wrestling, but with everything. When you let just anybody step into your ring, and when you put the belt on somebody, when you make a person your champion, what are you telling the fans, this is the very best that we have to offer. There's nobody I got is better than this person. That's what you're saying. This is my champion. But what happened when your champion walk out to a local bar and get in an argument and get his ass beat up? What what that do for your champion? These are things that that that, that promotion tried to keep away, uh, protect to protect the business. Before they made me champion, Mid Atlanta champion, Sweet Hansel took me to a bar that he used to own. I was the first and only black person I've ever been in this freaking bar, <laughs> okay? <laughs> Never wanted to go back. He had three white guys to jump on me to see if they could whoop me. I didn't whoop them, but they didn't whoop me. And Wahoo, my daddy, I'm on Wahoo and, 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 and Rufus R. Joe talking in the back. Well, at least we know you can fight. They want to know if I can fight. Because they didn't want to put the belt on me. And then I was the first person also to wrestle in my hometown. They wouldn't let you wrestle in the hometown because they was afraid that somebody in your hometown could whoop your butt and they jump in the ring and beat you up in front of the fans. Yep. See what I'm saying? We, we try to yep. make people believe that what we're doing was for real. And we did everything in our power. Like people say, is it fake blood? No, we took a freaking razor blade and cut our head. That's what we did. There was no fake blood. That was your blood out there. You know, when they hit with the chair, you would see the dent in the chair. We used to try to make that chair wrap around your head. And when you're out, and, and then you look at Rick Flair, even now, the way he chops. He's never pull a punch. You know, Gene Anderson would hit you in the head for real. He wouldn't pull it. You know, he just knew where to hit. And when Harley Race racked across the back with Johnny Valentine, you you wrestled Johnny Valentine. You felt like you was in a real fucking fight. In fight. I don't think Johnny worked. I don't think he ever worked a day in his life. <laughs> Johnny was just like being in a real freaking fight. And Greg is just like that now. You wrestle Greg Valentine, you don't feel like you're working? You. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me? Stan Hansen would come off that rope, boy, and hit you so damn hard, you see birds. <laughs> I mean, I had to catch my breath the first time Stan had, and, and Larry the X hit it. You know, I had to check my ribs, make sure he didn't break a rib or something the way he hit so hard. Gene Anderson, them guys used to lay in them punches. I mean, you had to be tough to be in this business back there. But then they made, then the independence came along, and then they would put anything in the ring. They don't care as long as it fit the price. They didn't look at price. They don't look at talent. They look at price. If, if, if you're cheap, you get in the ring. If you cost too much, oh, I'm sorry, but I can't afford you. I'd rather have six good matches than ten no good matches. Another thing that's wrong with independent promotion, too, they they don't give a shit about the fans. 
They don't care about the fans. And they wonder why the houses don't grow. I'll give you an example. Things that I learned. If you run a show longer than two hours, you don't want people to come back. You don't want them back. There's a reason that two hours is good. If a person, a fan, see that a show starts at 7 o'clock, right? As a fan, what time do you think that fan is looking to get out of there? About nine. Exactly. Exactly. He want to be out of there at nine because then he want to get somebody to eat, and if they got kids, they give them plenty of time to get the kids to bed and get everything settled. And they, they want—they don't want to spend the whole freaking the, 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 the whole day doing one thing. Nobody does. So if they get in at seven, they expect to be out there by nine, nine thirty. They don't expect to be in that damn building ten, eleven o'clock at night. I'm on the minute time. They, they, I'll be on the show. They keep me in for the main event. By the time I go to the ring, half the people gone. They gone. They walk out. Once intermission comes, they head straight for that freaking door. They've seen enough because they don't see nothing different. Every restaurant looks the same. And when you see guys in the ring and you're a fan and you look at this guy and say, oh, man, how the fuck he get in this business? I could whoop his ass. I asked my wife. She was 50 years old. I took her to the independent show one time. And I said, honey, what do you think of the show? Now, she was 50. She said, hell, I could whoop half of them guys. They put anything in the ring. They don't give a shit. They they sell the people nothing. The people spend money and get to see nothing. And, and plus they keep them all night showing them nothing. Then they let them, then they send them home hungry. Cause most restaurants closed by ten. I don't know how many times I got out on the show and I look for somebody to eat. The only thing that I can find to eat is, is a convenience store. Hopefully they got a hot dog or something you can get at a convenience store or one of these old ready made sandwiches and a, and a beer that. That's where the fans go to eat because of the promoter. Whereas with Vince, you go to Dennis or, or Applebee's. With Vince, with Independent, you go to fucking Subway. I mean, no, you don't even Subway clothes. You don't even get, you can't even get a damn Subway. You hopefully that a McDonald's would be open at about eleven. When the hell is open after after ten o'clock to get somebody to eat? What? So you send the people to bed hungry. When I started, the fans was number one. We started on time, and we ended on time. We never kept them longer than to always leave the fan wanting to see more. Then these guys come in with some eight, nine, ten matches. That's stupid. It's stupid to have that many freaking matches. It's not WrestleMania. You don't have that type of talent to do uh, of freaking, the less people see sometime of your show, sometime the better you are. You know? <laughs> the longer you're out there, the, the, the longer, the more chances of the people see, you know, see something that, that is wrong, you know. It's kind of like a ban a used car. The longer you drive that car, the more you're going to find out what's wrong with it. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? The longer, the longer a, a show go, the longer the show go, but most promoters are trying to stroke their ego. They, they're doing it for their ego. They're not doing it for the fans. Where Vince, they made him successful. Every, every, every promoter, every promoter that wrestled ended up losing their business. Every promoter that didn't wrestle became famous. Once the promoter involved himself in the show, he's going to wrap that show around him. He's going to do it every time. That show going to be wrapped right around him. That's why the Von Erds didn't make it. That's why Jerry King Lawler went out of business. Because everything was wrapped around them. Dusty Rose killed Florida by doing the same thing in Florida. Dusty got to be the main man, no matter who came in. That's why the Ultimate Warrior left Texas. Because Brody and Von Earth want to be the main guys. And me and Brody, I went to Puerto Rico. Uh, Ultimate Warrior went to New York. Because Vince was not in the ring. And when Vince do go in the ring, Vince go in to put over the wrestler, not put himself over. You see the difference? When Vince got in the ring with Stone Cold, he did that to help Stone Cold, not to help Vince. Because he was a promoter. He thought about the fans. The promoter, number one priority, has to be the fans. But they concentrate on the show, and they forget about the most important element of promotion is the fans. Remember, wrestlers don't buy tickets. 
Y'all understand, or y'all went to yes, sleep no. on me? No, I, I definitely I, understand. I know, you know, I know. Wrestlers do not. Wrestlers do not buy tickets. So you want to put every Tom, Dick, and Harry on the show and stress that show out? They make it into a freaking marathon where they, that with the fan. By the time they get out, you know what the fans say when they go to the park? Like, man, I thought I'd never get the hell out of there. <laughs> the next time you come, yeah, the next time you come back town, they, 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 you know, they debate. Well, do I want to be stuck in that freaking hot ass building all night, or do I want? You see, they start debating you. But you can always tell if you're doing the right thing. If the house is down, it's not because you're talented, it's not because you're promoted, because you ran it too long the first time. You burn yourself out. Yeah, I agree with that 100, percent Tony. 100%. You burn, your, burn yourself out, and you leave the fan with nothing to come back to see. When are they gonna come back to see? Yeah. Absolutely. You, I, yeah, I, I agree yeah, with you 100%. Yeah, you, put, you, put, you put all your cars on the table the first show, and the summer show going to be smaller and smaller. And you're going to get less and less talent because you're not going to be able to afford to bring in the good talent. You're 100% you, they right. Kill themselves off. Yeah, two hours. If solid seven, get the, if, if, you know, I would go maybe, but you got to get them out of there before 10. Absolutely. Don't stretch it. Yeah, because everything closed at 10. They can't even get nothing to eat. I hate that, too. Shit. I've been driving all day. I've got to sit in this building all night long, waiting, watching all these kids bounce around, don't know what the hell they're doing. So, Tony, don't worry about tomorrow, though, because tomorrow your appearance is from 6 to 9, once again, to be at the Sussex County Fairgrounds in Augusta, New Jersey. Tons of good food there. We got Toto with Tom picking you up with some some clams and uh, linguine. And uh, I don't want to take up. I need, we took up almost the whole hour with you. I appreciate you staying on a little bit longer. Okay, well, thank y'all very much. I, I hate to do this, but I got to get off of this phone right now. Y'all have a wonderful day. Yeah, you too, Tony. Thank you so much. All right, all right, goodbye. I'll talk to you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. All right, brother. What a conversation. And I repeat, and I don't, I don't repeat myself much, Jumpin' Jay, as you know. What a conversation here today on 80s Wrestling, the podcast with Mr. USA, Tony Ellis. I, I, I don't know about you guys. My, my, I think he's my new guilty pleasure, just listening to him talk. I could probably have stayed on this phone, uh, this uh, podcast, to probably 11 o'clock tonight. I was, I was really, really entertained by everything he was saying. And I agreed with most of everything he said as well. 100%. What a conversationalist. What a talker. What a promo. And I love, he was very generous. At the start of the hour, he told us he could give us 15 minutes. He ended up going over 50. And every minute of it was just a blast to listen to. Absolutely. You're on the show. Jump, jump in. I didn't even know listen, that. You're on the show. Listen, Toto and Tom. Today's one of those days where you just click the microphone off, sit back, and put a smile on your face. Because when you got a guy like Tony Atlas, you just listen to him talk. Wow. All right, let me get back to work, fellas. Total with Tom, out. All right, Total with Tom, thank you very much. And Jay, man, again, what a what a conversation uh, we had with uh, Mister USA Tony Allen. Again, man, I can I can literally listen to him talk all day. He will be kicking off the Sussex County New Jersey State Fair beginning tomorrow, August fifth, going till. August 13th, we have a different wrestler appearing there every night, Jay, from now until next Saturday. And again, it kicks off tomorrow with Mr. USA, Tony Atlas. Then on Saturday, we have the Boogeyman, uh, followed by Jim Ross this Sunday. Very, very, very excited for this one, Jumpin' Jay. It'll actually be the first time I ever worked with good old JR, and, and he's uh, a lot of people are hyped in this area that he's going to be there this Sunday. And then uh, next week's schedule, Monday to Saturday, will be Enzo on Monday, Doink the Clown, Ray Apollo on Tuesday, Brutus the Barber Beefcake on Wednesday, Greg the Hammer Valentine on Thursday, the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase on Friday, and then next Saturday will be X-Pac, which I'm also very, very excited for as well. So nine days in a row, Jay. You always ask, uh, what's going on in New Jersey? Well, I'll, I'll be honest with you, brother. It's going to be a, a long stretch, nine nights of signings coming up to the New Jersey State Fair uh, in Augusta, New Jersey at the Sussex County Fairgrounds. should be interesting, man. 
interesting is the least of it, dude. You're looking at these names. You're looking at these nine days of fun at the fair. You've got guys that are going to draw huge attention wherever they go, and they're going to be sitting at the Tommy Fierro booth, so that's pretty cool. And don't think it slipped past my radar that good old JR is retweeting stuff that you put out there, my man. So that tells me he's excited to be at the fair because he retweeted the appearance coming up at the New Jersey State Fair. And then to end the week with X-Pac, who I could be wrong, but I think he very recently became Grandpa X-Pac. And so he's a big name. He's going to draw a line, get a corn dog, get a conversation with X-Pac. I feel bad for the other 49 states, Tommy, because they can't keep up with what New Jersey is putting out there with you and that booth. (laughs) Well, anyone that's on the East Coast that's close enough to come, whether it be New York or Pennsylvania, Connecticut, I mean, this is a rare opportunity to uh, meet Jim Ross and X-Pac in New Jersey. Again, it all kicks off tomorrow, August the 5th, running all the way till August 13th, the New Jersey State Fair in Augusta, New Jersey. And uh, actually, we're going to put up some autographed pictures uh, that you can get if you're not in the area later today on our website. Uh, 80swrestling.com. Actually, maybe we'll put them on. Yeah, we'll put them on 80s Wrestling, uh, 80swrestlingcon.com. And uh, anyone out there that might be interested in getting an autographed picture of one of the guests I just mentioned that you won't be able to meet in person, we'll, we're going to get them up later today. I know it's last second, so you don't have that much time, but I figure we can probably get some orders in in the next week or so. But yeah, man, that's going to be my next nine days, and I'm going to go on vacation for uh, three days, uh, a short vacation. Uh, just going down to Wildwood, New Jersey, um, following the fair for three days. And then I got to come right back because ISPW will be uh, coming back to Butler, New Jersey on Friday, August 19th for ISPW Summertime Blues. And there'll be special appearances by Zeb Coulter, who you know is Dutch Mantel and Virgil former WWF legend. They'll both be appearing, signing autographs, taking pictures at ISPW Summertime Blues at St. Anthony's Church Gym in Butler, New Jersey, again on Friday, August the 19th. The main event for that one, Jay, is a TLC match for the ISPW Tag Team Titles with Birds of the Sun against the Now versus Crowbar and Personal Pain. Also for the ISPW World Heavyweight title, Justin Carino, the new champion with Maven, will defend the title for the first time against Trax. And uh, Bull James will defend the ISPW Tri-State title against Rick Recon, the It Factor, accompanied to the ring by Dave LaGreca and Miss DeVille. For the ISPW Women's Championship, it will be a no-holds-barred match when the gift of Gab, Gabby Ortiz, puts her title on the line against the former champion, Vicious Vicky. These two girls have been feuding for months now in ISW, and I believe it's all going to come to a head August the 19th. Also, the former champion, the superstar, Danny Morrison, back in action to go one-on-one with Sean Donovan, two of uh, the premier top guys in ISW, colliding in ISW for the first time. So that should be interesting as well. Off a junior will also be on the card, former WWE star as Manu. He will be taking on Dominic De Niro. And then Mr. Main Event, Michael Mars, goes one-on-one with TJ Epics, who will have H.C. Loke in his corner. So it's going to be a, a, a packed lineup uh, when ISW uh, comes back to Butler, New Jersey on August 19th. So, yeah, man, a long stretch coming up. This is – it's all exciting. I always get a kick out of listening to your schedule because you make – Mere mortals like the rest of us seem like we're not doing nearly enough. Um, Hats off (laughs) to you, man. It's a big way to end summer. You know, summer, we're rounding the corner here. We're already in August, which means fall's right, you know, right around the corner. But you are going out with a bang. And so the people in your neck of the woods get get treated to some very, very high-level wrestling action. Awesome. And And then we return back to the ISPW Arena on Friday night. September the 23rd. This one's going to be cool, Jay. I'm doing a King of ISPW tournament. It'll be an eight-man, one-night tournament to crown the King of ISPW. I'm very excited about that. That is a huge announcement. It's going to be a huge show. 
I love that you're doing it because it adds that extra little something because who doesn't want to be the king of ISPW? That is bragging rights. And so you know everyone's going to be competing for that top spot and that prestigious moniker of king of ISPW. Jay, how, how about to end today's episode, we'll give an exclusive here on 80s Wrestling, the podcast. I will announce the eight competitors for the ISPW King Tournament. How's that sound? Has, has this not been put out publicly yet? Has not been put out publicly yet. Nope. This, mur, 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 late breaking news. A 80s wrestling podcast exclusive. Tommy Fierro about to name the eight competitors for the King of ISPW Tournament taking place in September. I'm all ears, brother. Lay it on me. First time exclusive, right? I never, I never did an exclusive on the uh, podcast before, so this is this so, is big. <laughs> yeah, it is, brother. So check it out. First off, uh, we will have an ISW World Heavyweight Title match taking place at the King of ISW Tournament. I already announced this the other night. It's going to be HC Loke making his debut main event match. And ISW has been around an extremely long time. He will be challenging Justin Carino for the ISW World Heavyweight title. Obviously, if Trax defeats Carino for the title on August the 19th, then it will be Trax against H.C. Loke. But Loke gets the next opportunity at an ISW World Heavyweight title match. Yeah, I'm excited for that, man. And then the king of ISPW tournament, eight-man, one-night tournament to crown the king of ISPW main event. Michael Mars will be in this tournament. Michael Mars has been around since the early 90s, 1992 to be exact, trained by Iron Mike Sharp. He's been around forever, and this is a really, really big opportunity for him to be in this tournament. Also, Trax, who I just mentioned, he will be in this tournament as well. For some reason, again, if uh, Trax wins the title, he will be put in that slot against H.C. Loke. Crowbar will be in the King of ISPW tournament. Crowbar, obviously, one of the hottest guys on the indies in 2022, which you think about that for a second. It's crazy. He's, uh, he's hotter now than he's ever been. Uh, also, uh, someone I'm really high on, someone I think that has a really bright future, the It Factor, Rick Recon, will be in the King of ISPW tournament. Also, former ISPW Tri-State champion, Sean Donovan will also be in the King of ISPW tournament, along with ISPW current Tri-State champion, Bull James, will also be in the tournament, along with Afa Jr. And the eighth and final spot is former ISPW world heavyweight champion, the superstar, Danny Morrison. So that rounds out the eight spots for the King of ISPW tournament. Again, it's Afa Jr., Danny Morrison, Bull James, Sean Donovan, Rick Recon, Crowbar, Trax, and main event Michael Mars. Again, September the 23rd at the Totowa PAL, the ISPW Arena in Totowa, New Jersey. That is an elite eight. My goodness. Those are eight top-tier competitors in ISPW. Do we, I, I, I have one name circled. That, that's my pick to win, but be, I got to know this. Do we know the, the early round matchups yet? Or how do we, uh, when does the bracket come out? I got to see what my guy's up against. Maybe we'll make that another exclusive for next week's episode. All right, I like it. I'm going to keep my notepad right here. I got my but name I wanna, circled. You, you, no, no, if you circled someone, if you circled the name, I, I, I'm sure all the, the listeners out there are curious as well. I want to know who you picked. When you were going down the names, I put a star, I circled, I underlined the man, Sean Donovan. He is my pick wow. to be the inaugural king of ISPW. But I want to know the bracket. I want to see what route he's got to take to the crown. But, yeah, that's my early pick. That's I, I my initial you, gut. I, I was going to ask you what made you go with him, but then I remember you were at uh, ISPW's big show following 80s Wrestling Con. I remember you told me you were high on Sean Donovan. Is that correct, right? Yes, he put on – a spectacular performance. I think he's hungry. I think he deserves it. And I think it's just a stepping stone onto bigger things for Sean Donovan inside ISPW. 
Well, there you go. There's your pick. And I guess we'll, we'll find out some more picks in the upcoming weeks and also the brackets. Again, they're going to be on Friday, September 23rd, Totua, PAL, Totua, New Jersey, for the king of ISPW tournament. Until then, Jay, hope you and all your family at home enjoying the hot days of summer, the dog days of summer. Dog days. I'm about to... Uh, I'm about to sweat my you-know-what off for the next nine days outside at the Sussex County Fair. So, again, if anyone out there, any listeners, live in uh, the New Jersey area, come and join us one of these nights. It's a, it's a fun night out for the entire family. and You can also meet some of uh, wrestling's biggest stars as well. <laughs> That's right, Tommy. Uh, you got a big kickoff event tomorrow night. Hanging out from 6 to 9 with Tony Atlas and just from, from a friend to another, maybe uh, wash your feet. Put some toenail polish on him. Get a nice pair of shoes for Tony, you know. Hey, 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 brother. Hey, 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 now, hey, now, hey, now. You dirty dog. You dirty dog. All right, guys. Well, uh, everyone, enjoy your weekend, and we will catch you back here next week on 80s Wrestling, the podcast.